Welcome to the CIM Marketing Podcast. The contents and views expressed by individuals in this podcast are not necessarily those of the companies for which they work. Due to the coronavirus lockdown, the CIM Podcast is currently being recorded via web conferencing. We apologise for any issues with the audio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the CIM Marketing Podcast. And today we're going to be talking about all things customer centric. And, you know, a good friend of mine works for one of the major department store retailers. And the motto internally of their marketing department is think customer. And my question has always been, why should that need to be said? Because in marketing, surely everything should be about the customer and everything should be customer centric. And to tackle this question, we have an expert on customer centricity, Mr. Dan White, author of the hit book, the Smart Marketing book. And he is with us today at Moore Hall. Dan, how are you today, sir? I'm great, thanks, Ben. Very excited to be here. But that's the fair question, isn't it? Why do we talk about customer centricity in marketing when everything, in marketing should presumably relate and be in favour of and to the benefit of the customer? Well, not everything. I mean, I was thinking about you take customer centricity to the, to the nth degree and you will make no money. I mean, there's always something more you could do as a business or, or marketing could create that makes the experience better for a customer, but there's a cost involved and it might not be a good investment. There's always a balance between thinking about the customer and what, what it's going to cost and whether that's worth it or not for the, from a business point of view. So how do you decide whether it's worth it or not? I mean, that, that, that is not a zero-sum game and it's not presumably a straightforward mathematical calculation. Yeah, it's not easy. Um, in fact, there is always a tension, I think, between a CFO and a CMO in the sense that a CMO sometimes has to use instinct or uh, experience to, to make judgments about whether or not something is worth the investment or not, and can't always quantify it. But having said that, I do think it's always valuable if a CMO can talk in a financial, financial terms, uh, talk the same language uh, to financial officers, uh, and at least try and estimate or try and explain the thinking uh, as best they can. We've got with us today a very popular guest on this show, is Miss Gemma Butler, and Gemma is a meta. CMO of sorts. She is Director of Marketing for the Chartered Institute of Marketing. And Gemma, it's interesting, isn't it, that about making the case to your counterpart in the finance department is not always straightforward, quantitative and mathematical. So how do you, as a Director of Marketing, do it? Well, I think, you know, it's marketing's role, isn't it, to to take all of the information and go to the boardroom and, and present a business case. And I think, you know, that's where sometimes marketing or marketers struggle is to present that business case in a way that, you know, we have so much subjective information that comes in as well as objective information to actually put that into something that then translates into to, to numbers is quite difficult. But um, I also have a bit of a bee in my bonnet at the moment um, around the fact that I think that CFOs should start learning the language of marketing, to be honest. And it's, you know, it's getting a bit boring for me when people keep saying that the, you know, we need to learn the language of finance, because I think it's a two way street, because, you know, marketing speaks the language of the customer and a society and, you know, the emotive language. And that's, you know, ultimately what drives 
I'm going to get shot here. That's what drives the business forward in terms of, you know, engagement and sales or whatever it is you're trying to achieve as an organization. So I think it's a bit of a two way street. And I think I keep getting on my soapbox about this. But whilst I agree that we absolutely as marketers need to build a business case and there needs to be a return on investment. I think there is an absolute case moving forward for finance, for IT, for operations to learn the language of marketing as well, because we are representing society. The fact that you're even joking about getting shot does tell you where the sort of balance of dominance seems to have lied or has traditionally lied. But Dan, why do you think that may change? And if it is going to change and finance people start understanding the power of emotion, the, the appeal of uh, retail and the, and, and, the, and the glory of instinct and things like that, which are so dear to the hearts of marketers. How are we going to make that change? How are we going to make that shift so it is a two-way learning street? Well, I think for a start, although a lot of it, you know, it's informed by instinct, but actually instinct comes usually from experience, you know, uh, so it's more than just instinct. Uh, but I think, I think it hasn't changed, by the way. I haven't observed a significant change yet. I still think that CFOs feel they run the company and they're the kind of grown-ups. Um, and, and marketing offices are seen a little bit more as the sort of people who want to spend money rather than actually what, what they are is the, the people who make the money for the company. And I think that mindset needs to shift. So, yeah, I, I agree completely that it, uh, it needs to be a two-way thing. Uh, but I think, and I think that marketing can do a better job at that. Um, to help CFOs understand what marketing is all about by, by again, just, just explaining the line of sight from marketing and brand activity through to customer effects of sales and profit. It's not so much that CMOs need to learn the language of business, I think. It's more that they need to appreciate that they need to explain their thinking. Absolutely. I, I mean, CFOs, they're, they're very open to business cases that have assumptions in them. In fact, all business cases usually have assumptions in them. And some of the assumptions are, are, are weaker than the kind of assumptions you can make in marketing, especially all the kind of normative and benchmark and historic data you can now glean. So I think it's a lot of it does come down to better use of data and being happy to make assumptions about financial uh, impact. That's a really interesting point, isn't it, Gemma Butler, that actually you are allowed to make fewer assumptions in marketing your, your assumptions are challenged more in marketing than they are in financial forecasting. As Dan says, there are lots of assumptions in financial forecasting. In fact, one might say that all financial forecasting is an assumption. And yet uh, marketers are, are constantly asked to show the data, to show the evidence, to back up their, uh, their view. Um, nevertheless, Dan White says it hasn't changed and CFOs still think that they're the grown-ups in the room and the chief marketing officers are not the grown-ups. How, in your career and your experience so far, have you had any success in shifting that dial, moving that dial, so CFOs are starting to learn the language of marketing? I agree that the, probably, you know, the, the power shift hasn't changed yet. I think, um, as we spoke about a couple of weeks ago on the sustainability podcast, I think sustainability and, you know, that driver of what consumers want broader than the products and services you sell will change that conversation. And I, I believe that to be true. You know, if investors are basing their decisions on whether they invest in an organization on that greater cause or that greater purpose, then, you know, marketing has a has a door in there where the CFO is going to have to start listening. You know, you can't just base it on metrics. And I think, you know, whilst metrics are good and they absolutely needed, I think metrics are quite short term. You look at what's happening and you look back at what's happened. I think, you know, if you want that greater purpose 
um, and that longer term thinking, then I think, you know, we have to change this conversation. I think marketing absolutely um, needs a bigger seat at the table um, in terms of bringing that that into the conversation moving forward. Is it a, is this thing a bit tribal about it, do you think, Dan, that, you know, there's very, I presume there's very few switchovers, there are very few people that have crossed the divide from the finance department to the marketing department and vice versa, that actually there's still a bit tribal in organisations and that is what's making the barriers towards customer centricity becoming a little bit harder to break down. I don't know about tribes, I was thinking more that just there has always been and there still is, I think, a bit of a difference in in personality types, you know, and perspectives of, of the finance people versus the marketing people. The most successful chief financial officers that I have come across are the ones who do actually try to learn about what marketing is all about, try to understand the commercial impact of, of marketing activity. You know, if you think about what marketing deals with every day, the conversations we have, the data we're looking at, why we're looking at it, the emotive side of things versus somebody who is very into the numbers and looking at, at the, you know, the results and then forecasting. They are two very different worlds, but until those worlds collide and, you know, one has respect for the other and there is an understanding between those two. I think that's when organisations can move forward and make progress. And I think this is something that marketing absolutely has to learn the language of finance you know we do you're not going to just go and say spend as much money as you like and it doesn't really matter if it makes a difference you know that that wouldn't be good business would it but at the same time you know you do need to invest in things and I'm, I'm very much of a test and learn culture as well and you do have to have elements of your business where you are willing to test things because you're not always going to get it right first time are you and I guess customer centricity that is, you know, your customers will tell you what they want, but do they really know what they want all the time? You know, did everyone know they wanted an, an iPhone when it first came out? No. <laughs> but they, they certainly didn't know they didn't want an iPhone because an iPhone didn't exist and people couldn't perceive of it, of it existing unless you'd been a fan of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, which we sort of predicted the yeah. iPhone in the form. Um, but they don't know what they want now. They don't know what they want tomorrow. And actually, we're talking about experimentation and the need to fail fast and test things and that means acting quickly uh, within organizations and what I'm concerned about is that the relationship between CMO and CFO is, is not perfect as we discussed and it probably means that delivery can be a little bit slower than it needs to be. The customer landscape as we all know as we always talk about on this podcast is changing very very rapidly and is changing daily given how quickly it's moving how easy is it to be Dan White customer centric when we have to get our ideas and our expectations through organizations through marketing departments get them approved by a finance department which may be skeptical how easy is it to be footloose when we need to be footloose in the in a very changing world well I think I'd probably challenge actually whether or not you know consumers are changing as much as you sort of implied there I, I think certain aspects of the way we live our lives changes very rapidly, in, usually in reaction to things like COVID, etc. Um, or when a new technology suddenly makes things possible that were never possible before. Um, but I, I wouldn't say the fundamentals have changed that much. In fact, there is a wonderful analysis of the Google cohort of all books published, uh, the ones they've scanned anyway, which is that the phrase accelerated change actually peaked in something like the 18th century. Every uh, generation believes that they are going through the most rapid change because they're, they're living in it right. and they're sensing it, which I think is a fascinating concept. But I do agree that there's an opportunity 
to keep on top of the latest thinking, latest trends, latest social priorities, etc. Uh, and that is through use of new data sources. Mm. I mean, I would absolutely recommend using things like Google Trends and social listening to continually keep a tab of what people are talking about around your category, around your brand uh, and related areas. It may be changing, it may not be changing, but there's no reason you shouldn't have an alert as soon as things of interest crop up and then you're, you're, you're best placed to seize on those. Consumer trends are changing. We should use data to monitor those trends and understand the tools to monitor those trends. But Gemma Butler, Dan's suggesting here that there are some evergreen principles about being customer centric that we should also understand and, and not think that everything is a fleeting phenomenon. Absolutely. I mean, no, no customer's ever said, um, no, I'll have it in a month's time, I'll pay the highest price, and you can feel free to ignore any questions I have. You know, it all comes down to people want value, people want good service, and they want to, f it's how, you, how they feel when they engage with your organisation, isn't it? And I think that's absolutely, you know, the key to being customer-centric to meet those needs. Uh, and in, in exactly the same way, you, you never talk to a customer who says, oh, I'm not that bothered about my, my family and uh, relationships aren't important to me and uh, the sec my security is a, is a low priority. There are fundamental things and, and good marketing um, embraces those things and helps people live a better life, um, knowing that there are some fundamental things that, you know, 99 people have 100 across the whole planet actually do have in common. Um, how you execute them might be different, but... Uh, the fundamentals are very broadly the same. Do you think there's a danger then in focusing on those consumer trends? We forget about the fundamentals. We are in danger of thinking that consumers are changing their minds all the time and what they want is changing all the time. And, you know, you can go down many rabbit holes in terms of trying to follow and be exactly what you think your consumer wants you to be. And I think it's a case of, you know, you've got to stick to those fundamentals, as we said, that, you know, you have to deliver a good service, you have to, you know, have the right price, you have to have, um, you know, the right products that they want. And I think if, if, you, if you hinge everything on that, then you can test and learn in, in other ways. But ultimately, you know, we do want the same things and um, as, as people. And um, I think, you know, there's some great examples out there of organisations that do deliver on that. Dan, in your book, Smart, Smart Marketing Book, a lot of the, what the, the common thread that's going through it, the golden thread in going through it, is to try to simplify uh, marketing and marketing concepts so you can cut through to the customer. What are, you, what are sort of the key lessons that you portray in that book that you can offer to marketers to really be able to get that mindset and cut out the noise. Well, I think, for example, in media, media is a, a passion subject for me. I think we've gone down a huge rabbit hole, actually, at the moment, chasing the latest technology and, and thinking it's the, what consumers want. I, I have, I've had some serious arguments, actually, about the use of, uh, especially in feed social, uh, social advertising, etc., which is the argument is that that's what consumers want. That's what they respond to. You know, they want very quick, sassy, um, disposable content um, because, but it's a bit self-fulfilling. You know, if you put too much of that kind of content in and you just look at A-B testing and you, the best one is just the one that's just from a, a mix of very similar sorts of styles of advertising. And this kind of advertising is, is typically is experienced for less than two seconds. You're saying that you're A-B testing to like elements, to similar elements, two kinds of apples. You're not comparing an apple with a pear. 
exactly. And you deduce that, well, actually, this kind of apple is the best thing you can possibly do, but you've never even tried an orange, yeah. you know, or let alone a pineapple, you know. And, and I think we, we used to do more pineapples. I, I, I'll move away from this analogy now. <laughs> I like the fruit analogy. We've got, it's got legs, I think. Well, I'm more likely to have roots, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> Going back to your question, one of the truths about marketing is the power of storytelling. We know that people respond to stories, however you define that, you know, in a, in a really powerful way. They like It helps them understand stuff. It helps them believe stuff even and remember it. And it's very hard to tell a story in a couple of seconds. And, you know, if you look at the price of TV advertising, it's gone down and down and down. It's actually bargain now. So if you're not leveraging the amazing sort of targetability of that kind of digital advertising, you're, you, you're probably wasting your money. If you are, that's a different matter. That is where it's unique and, and vastly superior to traditional TVs, for example. So I think that's an example of chasing the latest trend and, and almost yeah, believing there's a trend that's happening, but it's almost created by the industry, not, not the consumer. You're trying to draw any digital insights, if you like, any sort of metrics and, and, and data from digital. Is there a danger that, just going back to your point earlier, Gemma, is that you're by doing that, you're asking for something quantitative, you're asking the customer what she wants, when, to use the iPhone example, she might not know what she wants, or at least she might not know what she wants tomorrow because she can't perceive it. I mean, I think it's a bit of a bit of both, really. I think there is, you know, there, it, it goes both ways. You've got brands that will deliver stuff that customers probably didn't know they want, and then they they buy into that. And that's, you know, around innovation. That's what we do as organisations, and we introduce new things and new products and new services. I think, and then on the other side, there's, you know, what people, what customers want. The Dan said around, you know, social listening, and that's sentiment, isn't it? And that's what people, how they're feeling and what they're saying. And I think that. You know, those things are really valuable. But then when you think about the noise and how do you know how many people are seeing everything you put out there? I mean, people pay not to see ads now, don't they? And people are just clicking off them or they go off and do something else. So I think, you you know, if you are an organisation that is putting too much focus on what your digital data is telling you, then it's it almost becomes redundant. And I think, it, for an example, so Amazon, as we know, most customer-centric brand on the face of the earth or that is their mission they are customer obsession isn't it is that is the two words they use there you know they, they have loads of data and they use it effectively in some ways so you know they'll use it to make recommendations they'll use it to navigate you through but they also use data in a way that isn't very helpful whereby if you buy a I don't know, for example, a skipping rope, they will then relentlessly tell you about all the other skipping ropes for weeks and weeks on end just because you've bought that skipping rope. So I think we need to be careful with data that we don't we don't put too much on it because it tells you what you're doing, but it doesn't tell you why you're doing it. And I kept going back to that whole thing around, you know, I bought dog food for the same dog food every single month and then my dog died and they kept messaging me about buying dog food. They don't know why I've stopped buying it. And I think, you know, that it's, it's for marketers to take that data and then try and go get work to the why and then build out from there. Which is much harder, which is much harder than just a basic algorithm. You know, the, 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 the skipping rope example reminds me of the fact that my preferred supermarket, I won't mention the name, um, if I don't get the AA batteries that I want, its algorithm sends me treble A batteries, which <laughs> are, of course, completely useless to me. Um, so the algorithms really, even for the biggest uh, and wealthiest companies, are still very, very flawed in places. But if you're speaking to the why, 
if you're trying to find product to sell to towards sentiment and towards values, that is a lot harder to do, isn't it, Dan White? It may be better to do, but it's a lot harder to do than to sell towards data. Yeah, it depends what you mean by data. I mean, I think, you know, digital data sort of, which is often passively collected, it means, you know, the consumer hasn't been asked anything directly, you're just collecting what's happened, what is happening, or what has happened, um, behavioural or, or, or whatever. Um, that can be very, very powerful and useful, as we talked about. Um, but again, there are still other forms of research that, you know, information you can, you can gather direct from the consumer. And there's still a role, I think, for classic market research, qualitative and uh, quantitative yeah, work, especially for trying to understand the why and, and for what could happen. So, you know, um, you know we talked earlier about um, testing. Yeah. Now, testing, if you've got something new, something novel, people won't necessarily, they wouldn't have realised that they want it. But if you show them something they really like, they're very good at telling you. So for anything new, and I think that applies to both, you know, innovation and creative comms. Those two things you can present to people, you can learn what works, what doesn't work and why. And the why helps you do another, a better job next time. So you don't end up with just another apple. You know, you actually learn how to make more exotic fruits. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, because if you if you just go on what people are already doing, you just create more of the same, don't you? You, you, you which may sell for a time, but you you're never you're never going to get in front of it. You're never going to be innovative. You're never going to deliver something really revolutionary, uh, a new product. And that's what artificial intelligence tends to do. It, it 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 can only really learn from the data it's been given, which by definition is already existing, you know, historic. So hence it perpetuates what is the current status quo. You know, I've, I've, I've learned, um, you know, on my, um, on Spotify, I love Spotify, by the way, but it, it, you, you can sort of see it's, it knows what I like and it gives me what I like and it doesn't necessarily inject things I wouldn't have thought about very often into my uh, recommended weekly playlist. And if it did, well, I might not listen to it, but just occasionally. Um, you might. It doesn't no. challenge you. It doesn't no. challenge you, Spotify. I think that's one of its flaws, isn't it? It really doesn't challenge. You. And if you if you set it on automatic when you're driving because you can't fiddle around with it, for example, you yeah. it frequently starts sending you the same songs which you've heard over and over again. And there's and something in that, isn't there? That there is a challenge to the consumer we need to be making as marketers. And if we rely on data capture methods rather than testing and experimentation, Gemma Butler, we're just going to give them more of the same. Yeah, and you don't you don't then open up your customer base to, to new to new things, to new products, new services. And I think also customer centricity, and I'm not going to get on my sustainability soapbox, I promise, but I think customer centricity isn't just down to the products and services that you give to people. I think with consumers and employees, certainly of organizations wanting to engage with brands that align to their values and what they're doing outside and what goes beyond their products and services I think that's adding a new layer personally to customer centricity because you know it it will determine whether you want to engage whether you want to buy that products and services and I think this is a this is something that you know where marketing and that that conversation breaks down again with the boardroom to say you know it's not just about growing through selling stuff to people actually your story has to be broader your story has to capture why you're doing something it has to capture the greater good you're giving back as an organization to the environmental crisis that we're facing and i think that's also you know we hear a lot about purpose these days but i think any organization that just relies on customer centricity in the service they provide 
will only last so long moving forward because consumers want more. They do want more. They do want more, Dan White. And you know, that, that, that's undeniable. But nevertheless, exploitation of what you already do is always going to be more popular, presumably, because it's proven, in quote marks, by finance teams, than experimentation and pushing the boundaries and challenging. So as marketers, how do we get that to the top table? How do we change that mindset? Going back to what we were saying at the start of the show, how do we change that mindset so we, we build that innovation, that experimentation uh, into our customer centricity culture, if you like? I think you need to, you need to acknowledge that you can't spend uh, too much on wacky new things that may or may not work, but you always should be spending a certain amount all the time. Um, it's the only way you're going to find that breakthrough piece of thinking or innovation or idea that unlocks real growth. So I think a, a useful rule of thumb that I've come across a few times, and it goes down very, very well, I think, with CFOs, is to say that, you know, 70% uh, of our marketing budget should be spent on the things we, we know and trust and work and we, we've got norms for and we can do fairly accurate predictions about the, uh, the return on investment. 20% trying to do things a little bit differently, you know, extending, trying out different variations of what we do now. And then 10% of our money on complete experimentation, something that, you know, might challenge, you know, maybe put a bit of classical music into my Spotify playlist. You never yeah. know, I might respond to it. Um, you won't know until you try. So, you know, 10% on, on that and, and ring fence that in your, in your budget and have that as a way of working. A moonshot mentality. Do you think there's a reasonable prospect of that happening? Gemma Butler, do you think in the years to come that people realise we have got to take a little bit of a moonshot mentality if we're going to get ahead of what the consumer wants? I think I think a lot of organisations would be would be open to that. And I think a lot of organisations have their sort of innovation budgets or whatever you want to call them, where they are continuously testing new things. And I think you know, tech obviously tech companies do this. Um, they go at the speed of light though, and nobody can ever catch up with them. But absolutely, I think I think most businesses probably have a pot of money around R&D and development and, and all of that stuff, whereby they, they're willing to, to test things out. Otherwise, we wouldn't, we wouldn't move forward, would we? We'd just keep doing the same thing and having the same products. I think it's absolutely out there. Do you think their ears are open as well, Dan White? Yeah, I definitely think they do, because I think you can put a pretty good business case behind that. Well, that's promising. Dan White, Gemma Butler, thank you very much indeed for what's been a great show today. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. If you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to the CIM Marketing Podcast on your platform of choice. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can also join the conversation on Twitter at CIM underscore exchange, where we'll keep you updated about the latest episodes. See you next time. CIM Marketing Podcast.